So Lamentations chapter 3. And so just keep it open. We'll go through here. You know, one of the most difficult assignments I have received from God has been being a father. Uh, it's, it's very interesting. I used to hear people say, you know, being a father is a, it's a very difficult thing to do. And I was, well, how difficult can it be? You know, and I used to think maybe changing diapers, that was a difficult part. You know, that cannot last forever. And, um, you know, they start to walk and they run everywhere. Well, you know, eventually they'll, they'll hear it stop and they'll learn that it's good to listen to their parents. Um, but the older they get, I think it gets tougher because the consequences and the, and the part of the character we're trying to shape is kind of hidden underneath, right deep inside the heart of our children. So... One of the things that uh, I'm learning to do is to, I, I find out that actually it is hard to be a father and one that seeks to, to, to teach our children how to honor God. And that's hard because they didn't come with a manual. And um, they didn't come with a receipt either that you can just send them back. So you have to keep them. But one of the things I was reading through the book of Lamentation, and, and it's one of those things that I wasn't planning. Uh, it's now one of my joyful readings. I was just praying some time ago, and during my uh, devotional time, I came across Lamentations chapter 3. Wow, what a book, Lamentations. So I want to give you a little bit of background, and then I'll try to tie in why I tell you it's difficult to be a father uh, into this whole story. First of all, Lamentations is, is like anything in the Bible. You have to think about the, the context. What is going on when they wrote this book? What are they thinking? What was the writer going through? What was he feeling? Because if you just break right in the middle of it, like we are going to do in chapter 3, uh, things get a little confusing. And not all the Bible is written the same way. You know, you, you have to consider what is the literature, what kind of style, the genre, you know, what is going on in the time period, what are the cultures, and, um, and as pastors, that's kind of our job to help you walk through those things. First of all, let me say that uh, as a background, Lamentation is written between the year 588 B.C. and 586 B.C. It's written by the prophet Jeremiah. At least that's who we attribute him. Uh, his name is not on the book. Uh, Jewish tradition, they always pair Jeremiah and Lamentations together. Jeremiah is known for writing Lamentation, which is a type of poem, uh, the one that you will read at a funeral, where you lament, where you re have a sad memory, you, you're re remembering the pain of losing something or somebody. And um, so Lamentation is a collection of five poems. And the fourth four poems in English, they don't always have the same impact as they do in Hebrew. And trust me, I don't read Hebrew, so I'm trusting smarter people than I am. And what it is is the first four um, poems, first four chapters, uh, they actually are acronyms following the letters of the Hebrew so uh, alphabet. So every verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, so in English, it kind of loses its impact. So you can see how much time was and effort was given to craft a piece of literature of this quality. And not only that, but carried out over five poems for it to complete the whole book. Actually, 
uh, today, it's still Jewish tradition to read the book of uh, Lamentations out loud every year as they remember uh, Jerusalem being destroyed by Babylon, which is was the time period when it was written, and when the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD. And they still practice this as every, at the ninth day uh, of the month of Av, which is about the mid, mid of June, July. And they get together, they publicly read, and they remember the pain. So this, when we read Lamentations, we're reading poems written to express lament, pain, sorrow, as if in a funeral, uh, right when Jerusalem, and especially the temple, was being destroyed by Babylon. So now we understand the concept. Now, even though there's a poem and it doesn't follow the acronyms in English like it would have in Hebrew, the principle and the concept and the feeling it still has relevance for us today. And at the end of the, towards the end of our time together, I will try to tie it together to a New Testament concept, okay? So bear with me as we come through. We won't cover every verse, but I want to touch base on three principles. And they're listed very simple on your bulletin. And it just has a, two words in front. God is, God has, and God will. All right, so I will, I'll point those out to you as we come around. First of all, let me say that the first two chapters of the first two laments, they're talking about the suffering experience as a nation, kind of a congregational pain, everybody. So it refers to the pain as uh, the, the people in Jerusalem face together, and they're expressing that pain. But when it gets to chapter 3, it counts a personal expression of pain. And we see that in the first verse of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says... I am the man. And in English, the first thing I think of is this person has been known for expressing pain. And he's declaring, I am that person who you have heard of that has had pain. I am that person. Now, have you ever been able to say that in a time in your life? We said, I am the person suffering. I am the person this week really experiencing pain. And I think we all have times in our life where we can say, yes, I am that person suffering today. So this is what the prophet says. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. And the first thing that should jump to us is, first of all, it's a personal pain. Second, identifies the source of that pain. And that source is God. The first point here is that God is sovereign, and he's just. And when we talk about being God's sovereign, it's not, things don't kind of sneak up into, God, into God's radar. Things don't just happen without God allowing them to be, sometimes he himself implementing them. And because they're talking about Babylon, the exile from Jerusalem into Babylon was not a surprise. It was not something that should have caught him by surprise. It was God's intentional discipline on his people. And as a matter of fact, Jeremiah has spent years warning the people of Jerusalem to turn back to God, to seek God as their hope, to seek God as their help. And instead, they kept turning to idols for their help. And as a result, God brings a judgment over Israel. 
and takes them into exile, destroys the temple, that one place that reminds them of the intimate relationship and worship God, that gets burned to the ground. And it's not just evil happening. It's God allowing this pain, this sorrow. And Jeremiah identifies this as the suffering that he's about to describe, first of all, is given to him by the sovereignty of God. God has appointed it for him. Now, this is very counter to our culture where we don't like to think of our God they punish, punish people, right? What is the big question people have? Well, God is so good. Why is there evil in the world, right? And hopefully we'll answer that, uh, that question as we go along. But as he goes on, pay attention on how it is written. Hope you had your Bibles. Verse 2, they say, he has brought me into darkness. God has been the one that directed them, took them into darkness. Surely against me, he's turned his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bone. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness. And he goes on. He has, he has, he has, all the way to verse 19. Now, do, you, do you foresee that this man understands that his pain is not a coincidence? Right? It's not an attack from the enemy. It's, bas it's basically an attack, direct attack from God. God is saying, I'm going to do this to you. And for our Western minds, are like, well, that doesn't sound like a loving God. Why would God do this? The one thing is I want you to know, the reminder, not only is God is sovereign, he's in control of all things. Understand, we need to understand that. When we say he's sovereign, he's not sovereign over certain things. He's sovereign over all things. And he's also just. That's why he says, I'm under the rod of his wrath. There's a reason why God is bringing this pain on us. Why on Jeremiah? Why is Jeremiah suffering with everybody else? Because the truth is that we will suffer as the whole culture in the city suffers. He suffered as well. So when we bring it out to our time is, listen, we are going to, as Christians and followers of, of God, you know, by the blood of Christ, we have been redeemed. Yet as long as we live in the city and as long as we live in this country and this planet, we will suffer along with everybody else. But let me tell you, let me get ahead, that result will be a different result than those that don't trust God. Okay? So God allows pain in our lives for a reason. And as Christians, if we want to be able to go through dark times, we have to realize that God is still sovereign. That there's a reason God is allowing. Sometimes it's because there's disobedience, like in this case. Sometimes we suffer because the whole culture where we live has turned away from God and the wrath of God is over the culture and we get caught in the middle. Why does God allow sin, uh, evil in the world? Well, because, believe it or not, because he's merciful. Because our portion, our portion 
what we deserve for sin is hell, right? Anything short of that is grace and mercy. We're not in hell yet. It's bad. Sometimes it gets bad. But we're not in hell yet. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told the parable of the, the weed and the weeds. You know, and it says there was weed growing and then the enemy came and there was weed. And the servant said, can we just go and start ripping it off? I said, no, let them grow. Eventually, I will sort it all out. It's grace to allow us to grow even in the midst of a world, because if God brought justice right now, what we will have? Destruction, complete destruction. If God decides to, to execute justice now, then, or in the past, then there will be people not being able to hear his word. He's waiting. He's waiting for people to hear and have an opportunity to respond. In the meantime, there will always be evil growing among us. And the fact that he chooses not to destroy it all is part of his miracle grace and mercy. So the first, the first thing we need to realize is that when we go through pain in dark, we have to realize God's still in charge. God still in charge. He is sovereign. And he goes on all the way to verse 19. And then this is what he says. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the Wormwood and the gal, my soul continually remembers this and bows down within me. But I, but I, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never mercies never come to an end. We see it with the people of Israel. God told them from the very beginning. Listen, pay attention to what I have done with you before. Look at what I did with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And look what I did through Joseph. And look what I did through Moses and how I brought you out of Egypt. And, and not only take a look of how I provided for you, how good I've been to you when you don't deserve it, yet I never gave up on you. My love has remained. And because I'm a God who does not change, I will not change now. And now my mercies will be new. Mercies will be new every morning. I will be with you. Hang on tight. This is where our theology hit the road. Right? Robert means the road. Theology means the road. That's when we need to have our theology and say, what do we know about God? We know that God it never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's basic theology sometimes we forget and we despair in the midst of trials and we say well God forgot about me he has been merciful and faithful and he will continue to be merciful and faithful and every morning his mercies are renewed they're new they're not forgotten they don't wear out they don't expire they're new they knew every morning. And that's what the prophet says here. Listen, I'm going through a very difficult time. And let me describe a little bit of the pain. Let me back up a little bit. I jumped off of this. The pain that 
Jeremiah is experiencing it. It's a real pain. Verse 4, 4 and verse 7 of the same chapter talks about how he's hurting physically and emotionally. He goes down to verse, down as the verse goes down on 7, 8, and 9. He talks about how their relationship is broken. God is not listening. It feels like God is not listening to what Jeremiah is saying. It's real pain. Emotional, physical, psychological. He describes the pain as if God took his arrows and he pulled it aim straight to his kidneys. And I'm like, what in the world kidneys have to do with this? Right? And that's when you realize, well, it's Jewish culture, not, not American culture. Kidneys was the center of not only vital, right? You need your kidneys to live, but also the center of emotion. So it will be like, I love you with all my kidneys. Right? So there's an emotional attachment. He said, it feels like God took his arrow and he personally aimed at my kidneys, at the center, at the core of everything. I end up pain is so deep. And yet, in the midst of my pain, I will remember that he has been faithful. It's real pain. We face real pain. And if you're facing difficult times today, I want to tell you what you feel is important to God. And I understand it's real pain. Just as if you broke a leg, Sometimes our heartache is deeper. Jeremiah concludes, I will remember. Not only that, but verse 24 said, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I will hope in him. As we walk with the Lord, we need to take note of what he has done so that when the midst of difficult times, we will say, well, he brought me here. He has carried me. He's been faithful to me. Therefore, my portion, what I require, not what my sinful nature requires, because the sinful nature of his portion is death and damnation and separation from God. But my portion in God is hope, redemption. So in the midst of your darkness, I hope your hope needs to be rooted in what you know that he has done for you. For the Christian, hope is real. And it changes everything. It changes how we act. It changes how we do things. For the non-believer who do not believe that God is real or don't, they don't believe that God is sovereign and they believe it's up to them, then they really don't have much hope. While a Christian, when he faces difficulties, they turn to God and say, I'm going to wait on you. I don't know what's going on. I'm talking to you. It feels like you're not answering me back. I feel that you're hurting me, but I'm still going to wait on you because I know that you never changed. Therefore, I'm going to wait for you. For the non-believer who faces pain, he's like, this hurts. This pain hurts. I don't know what to do with it. It must be reality. There's nothing I can do to change it. Therefore, I will embrace it. And make it who I am. And I have seen friends who had faced the sin. Who instead of bringing their pain to the Lord. And while they were struggling. They embraced it. And ended up destroying their families. Because they think this is who I am. There's nothing I can do about my addiction. There's nothing I can do about you know, what I am. This is just what I am. 
But for the believer, said, no, I, I don't embrace what I am. I embrace who God is, and God is faithful and good. Therefore, I got to embrace and wait for him, and I got to let him get me out of this whenever he chooses. In the meantime, this really hurts. Because the Lord doesn't always rescue us right away. It took Israel 70 years, a full generation to come out of Babylon. I know we like instantaneous healing, but sometimes... God has a plan for that pain. And for Israel, on this side of the cross, we know that for Israel, Babylon was a, a time to purify, to remind them who God was. It was never the same glory again, right? But they, did they believe that God was serious about his commandments? Oh, you bet you they did. They went a little bit to the other extreme legalism, right? But they knew that following God was and his rules were important. He came out of the discipline of Babylon. So God has been merciful and faithful. And finally, God will redeem us. But before he does, verse 25. And this is what we need to do as we go through difficulties. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear his yoke in his youth. And what is he saying? It's good to be, when you're in your pain, it's good to wait. Don't ask God to take it away right away. It's actually saying it's good for you to wait in your pain and wait and see how God is going to rescue you. Don't rush to try to solve the problem yourself. It is good for a young man to, to carry his yoke when he's young, to, to learn that difficult lessons on life when he's young. He has the strength to do it, so that when he's old, he's not making the same mistakes. And this is where we see God being a disciplined, loving God who lets us endure those things so we learn. One of the most difficult things about being a father is this, that I don't like to be disliked by my kids. And my kids are here, so... I, I, like to, I like them to like me. I like them to feel that I'm that cool, fun dad. I don't want them to think that I'm that mean, you know, mean dad who doesn't want to let them have any fun. All they want them to do is to do their homework, get straight A's, but I mean dad. So therefore, sometimes I weaken. I say, fine, go play. Fine, no problem. Fine. And I give in because there's part of me who I'm not necessarily the most faithful person in that area. But God is. And God will hold us to a discipline as long as it takes for us to come back to him. Teresa, all right, Lord, let's do it your way. You know, as I, as I get older and as I walk more with the Lord, I realize this one thing. I want to learn those lessons quickly. I don't want to waste time. And sometimes a little bit too quickly, the Lord said, no, you still don't get it. Well, Lord, tell me what I need to fix because I don't like what I'm going through right now. And what he says, is good for, some, for us just to sit in silence, verse 25. Sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth to the dust. The dead may be yet be hope. And he continues on and said, don't rush it. For you, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But those he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. 
God is not going to keep you where you are suffering forever. He hasn't done it in the past. He won't do it in the future. He will bring you back up out of the dust. In the meantime, he's asking you to hang on tight. Listen. Sometimes we don't listen until we are in pain. And we stop moving because it hurts so much to move. And we say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to learn? But then goes on. God has been merciful. In verse, 20, verse, uh, verse 39, he reminds us, what do we have to complain about? Really? What do we have to complain about? Do we really, can we really complain because I didn't get the promotion that I think I deserve? I mean, it hurts. Do I really get complain because, you know, I, I, I'm not able to have the car that I think I should have or the education that I, I, I hope I would have or what I think I deserve? You know, do I feel like I'm being punished because what? What do we have to complain about? When our true portion is death. When you put it in light of that, I say, if I complain about the hardships, now this is just a hardship that will not last forever when my true payment should be hell. And the, and the prophet said, why would a man complain about the punishment for his sins? What do you have to complain if you're being punished for your sins? You deserve it. But that's why we don't ask for justice. We ask for mercy. Lord, don't give me what I deserve. And then verse 4, it said, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to the God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. And remember, keep it in the context. He's talking about what the people of Israel did when they Rejected God, and God brought the judgment of Babylon over them. But God will redeem us. Let's jump a little bit to verse 55. And this is a prayer within, within this lament. I call on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry of help. You come near when I call you, and you said, do not fear. Isn't that a wonderful? That when we can call God, he will, he will meet us. He's not always going to take us out of the pit. Where He will meet us in the pit and say, don't fear. I'm still with you. I'm still in charge. Things will not go beyond what I have, I have appointed them to go. Do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O oh Lord. You have redeemed my life. And in the midst of Israel's going out to Babylon, they were redeemed. They were made new. They were made right before God. And that's why eventually God allowed them to come back. And they still have many more lessons to learn. But that, that's the story of all of us. Even when we come back to the Lord, we have so many more lessons to learn. So many more lessons that we need to assimilate. And he wraps up the, the uh, lament in verse 64, 65, 66. You will repay the Lord, bring in justice. He will redeem according to the works of the deeds. And it's talking about the evil people who came and hurt them. 
He will bring justice. He brought justice over Babylon. Even though the Lord allowed them to do, to do uh, evil things to his people. Verse 66. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them under the, your heavens, O Lord. Eventually, God will bring justice. Eventually, just, God will redeem us and bring justice. So what does that look like for us in the New Testament? We are in the church. We're not Jewish. We don't live in Babylon. We don't live in 586 B.C. So let's jump to Romans 5. Okay, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. And you probably know this. I had to memorize this for, for seminary. And I had such a bad memory that I don't remember it by memory all of it. But the concept is this. Is, is Paul writing to the church of Rome? And, he's, and think of this, where is the life of Paul? He's most likely writing from prison to a church that he never got a chance to visit. And the next time he will visit Rome, he probably will die. Okay? So put that in context. He's writing something in the midst of probably very hard situation. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing the sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God has love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Today, you may feel like you are being the, your temple, your castle, and everything that was precious to you has been destroyed. You may feel that you've been dragged into a foreign land and being oppressed by your enemies. You may feel that God is allowing a huge pain in your life, and, and you feel that he's personally coming in and afflicting you. And you wonder, why is this happening to me? And then we look at Rome and the application, Romans 5 and the application is this. Listen, we have been justified not because we're good. So whatever pain we get, and the short of hell is just, it's okay. It's not that bad, even though it feels horrible. And in the midst of your trials and difficulties, you need to find joy because God is doing a work in you. It's like the coach. If the coach is the coach is yelling at you and on your case and pushing you to be faster and, and carry heavy weights, you know that he believes you have potential. If the coach is ignoring you and, and bringing you donuts so you get out of the, the practice, then you know that he really doesn't care about you, right? If God is allowing pain in your life and you're in the service of God or you know that you're walking with the Lord and you probably cannot point to the sin or the area and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I'm telling you, be joyful because God is working in you. He's sovereign. His sovereignty is still in your life. He has chosen you. You didn't do anything. He chose you. He wants to make you better. It's, it's what I tell sometimes to my kids. It's not that I want to be mean. It's that I want you to do great. And that's why there's limitation and things that we don't want you to get involved in. Things that we don't want you to be exposed to. 
Because God has a purpose. He's intentional. If he allows us to go through difficulties, to sufferings, we know that we will learn to endure, to sit quiet, to learn to carry out that the yoke that he has put on our shoulder, learn to carry it even in darkness where we don't know what the next step is. It's one of the difficult things about ministry, you know, being a Christian. The more you grow is you have to practice faith. And faith is, yeah, I understand. I'm, I'm taking the step not because I know what the next step is going to be, because I know who God is. I know what, that he's in charge of my life. I know that he has been good to me. And I know that he has a good purpose to redeem me. At the, you know, at the end of times, I will be redeemed and I will be a trophy of glory. Therefore, I take the step in dark not knowing what's going to happen. And I'll take it. That's a hard lesson for me in so many areas. When I feel, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, I'll take the next step. I'll show up to work. I don't know what you're doing. I've been mistreated. I'll show up. I don't know what you're doing. Doors seem to be closing everywhere. I'll keep turning. There's another door closed. Well, there's one over there. I'll keep walking. Wherever you leave me, I'll keep walking. Because at the end of the day, it's not I that live, but it's you that lives in me. So if you want to take me and through a difficult time where it's muddy and confusion, as long as it's you living in me, let's go. Because you have a plan. Because I've been justified by the blood of Christ. I'm getting not what I deserve, but I'm getting your mercy. You know, you can be walking with God and still suffer a lot. Actually, if everything's going your way, you're probably going the wrong way, right? If everything's working out and you have no pain and, and life is great and you're not struggling with something in your life and something in your character and something in your heart, then you're probably not even in the team coached by God. You're probably not even in the same gym. You may put on the shirt. You may, you know, I, I cheer for the bears, but I'm not a bear. We probably play worse, so that's fine. But when, when you're walking with the Lord, you're going to be in difficult times and dark times. Israel was, so if they were the chosen people, what do we expect to be treated less? He loves his people. He loves you. He loves the Jewish people so much. He put up with a whole bunch of stuff, and we're not any better. We're not any better. He's the same one. He's the same God of Abraham. He's the same God of Isaac and Jacob. He's the same God that sent us Jesus Christ, his son, to die on the cross, to not only die to pay our sin, but to defeat death, to be risen again, so that when we have a bad day, a bad week, a bad, a bad month, a bad decade, whatever, we know that we still serve in a living God, who at the end of time, he will redeem us. So what do you do? I don't want you to just go home and think, well, I have a bad day. That's it. There's nothing I can do. Trust God. Talk to him. Do what Jeremiah did. Pray. Say, Lord, you know what I'm going through. And then submit. Say, here it is. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. I know that you're good, so I trust you. And then sit back and watch him work. Watch him work. 
And you know what? Share when, when the Lord does something for you, share it with somebody else. That they may come to trust God as much as you have come to trust Him. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are... First of all, Lord, I thank you because you don't change. I thank you for the dark times, Lord. Even in my own life when I, I was not even capable to say thank you for the darkness. Right now I see back, thank you because you carry me through. Lord, I know that there's people in this room who are going through difficult, dark times and say, where's the hope? And here's the hope. Our hope is in you, our portion is in you. We will wait for you, O oh God. And we know that you're letting the pain to come through our life for, life for a purpose. If anything else is to show us that you're in control. If anything else that you will shine through us in the midst of darkness. You need us to be light into this world. Your Bible tells, your word tells us that you want us to be light. But to be light and to have effectiveness, we have to be in the dark sometimes. Lord, I pray for those who are here who are suffering. Will you please, oh God, hear their prayers. Comfort their hearts. I'm not asking you to take them out of their pain. I pray just that you will comfort their hearts and you will affirm in them that you are doing a work in them to redeem them, to make them more like you, that they may one day enjoy the full presence of your glory when you bring your full justice over the earth and we receive the grace and mercy through Christ. Bless every family represented here, every marriage, every individual, Lord, allow us to walk in faithfulness to you. In the blessed name of Christ, our Savior, amen.